Hola y bienvenidos a la Deuces Wild Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de mejor cerveza. No abate por No Filter Network. Will the Thrill y Miguelito Santiago. But, hey, dead or alive. Job or no job, here or not here, we're obviously always going to properly salute our boys. Yes, 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 yes! Woo! Here we go, folks. Remember this, when we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. Very pleasant good morning to you on the 25th day of October, 2023. A quick reminder, the last of the major pro sports leagues kick off this week, and Bet Online is your top spot for all of the NBA action. It's fantastic. With the MLB postseason firing NFL and college football, and the NHL in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport, any time. Head to Bet Online today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code. Believe, B L E A V, all capitals to receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online; it's where the game starts. Oh, our new title sponsor. We do appreciate the folks over at Bet Online. Was talking to Will last night, and he was. Uh, Super excited about the new partnership that we have. And, of course, we joked around a little bit about the fact that we have only gambling, tobacco, alcohol, and firearms companies reaching out to us. On that note, check this out. This right here is Dadwater. So... Dadwater sent us a bunch of stuff, and I had three of these last night. I had two of the Rodneys, that's the blood orange, and I had one of the pineapples, which was, it's called the Gary. They have the Steve, which is grapefruit and tequila, and then the Tom, which is lime. They're so perfectly named, so hopefully... We will continue to work with those guys over there. They seem like just salt-of-the-earth people, and we will get that rolling. So, you know who had it rolling last night, obviously? The Arizona Diamondbacks. This is a team that just won't die. It's like the snake that you kept chopping in half, and he'd regrow its tail. I'm not sure if that's an analogy that's worthy right here but holy shit man and the fact that so many people including myself 
counted them out. It was a daunting task to think that they would be able to go into Philadelphia and win two games. Absolute insanity, if you ask me. So much so that Christopher Mad Dog Russo, a former colleague of mine, actually said that he would quit his job and retire if the Diamondbacks won both games. And look, we didn't take a side on either one of these. But looking at it, I thought to myself, if I were a Phillies fan, if you put up, I don't know, let's just say on game six, $1,000. And for whatever reason, the Phillies lost. Now, you would have had to put up almost 2000 to win one. So let's just say you put up 2000 right? And they lost, so you're down two grand. Well, the next game, you would have essentially had to put up about the same amount. Well, I would have been very confident in the bet that Mad Dog was basically talking about, where if they did happen to lose game six, I would have come back on top and put four grand down to win the two grand back because there was no way they were losing both games. But if you looked at the history of fought, fat, whatever you want to call them, P-F-A-A-D-T, he'd been pitching great. So even though he didn't have great numbers in the regular season, this was a guy that was throwing the ball really well, which was scary. And he's going up against Ranger Suarez. I didn't feel once they got to game seven that the Diamondbacks were that big of underdogs. And once the Phillies bats went cold, if you noticed, Nick Castellanos fucking disappeared. Gone. He went from being the hottest hitter in the face of the earth. He was next level to struggling mightily. I thought about his kid, Liam, because I'm pretty sure I saw him back there in his normal seats right behind home plate last night. And as great as it was watching his father hit all these home runs, one after another after another, I think it was five in the last series, I also felt like, man, this is good for Liam to see dad struggle. And the reason being is that it's not all fairies and unicorns in this game. It's not that easy. No matter who you are, you could be the best player in the world. You could be Barry Bonds, the best player that I saw play in my generation. And even the great BB struggled. So to have Liam as an impressionable 10-year-old kid be able to see his dad have a tremendous amount of success and really was the star of the postseason. And to go from that to just nothing, and it's not like he's the guy that you can go and single-handedly point and say, oh, well, Castellanos didn't hit, and that's the reason why they lost. They collectively as a group did not hit. Bryce Harper 
in that one at bat where he had a chance with two guys on to take the lead, there was a 0-1 pitch that was a fastball right down the deck. And we were on last night, Will Clark and I were, a deuce is wild, and Will was adamant that Harper was going to get a curveball. Harper, who's a very knowledgeable hitter, very experienced, seems like he'll sit on pitches and guesses a lot, was thinking along the lines with Will as well. And so because of that, Harper takes the fastball right down the middle. He then gets a breaking ball. And I'm pretty sure he did get another fastball to hit. And that was the one that he flew out to left center field. But that was their chance. That was, man, you had Trey Turner. You had Bryce Harper. The other thing is, you know, the Phillies, at one point, Trey Turner tried to bunt the runner over from second to third. I would never, ever, ever give up that fucking out. No chance. Just can't do it. This is somebody who's hitting 360 in the postseason, has three homers. What are we doing? And I know he wanted to get the guy from second to third. I get it. Well, the next pitch, he gets a changeup, and he rolls it over. It's a ground ball at third base, so you don't get him over anyway. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. As a manager, you really have to instruct your players on this one because when a guy's at second base with no outs, I'll be very clear in telling them, Look, work the middle of the field. I don't need you trying to inside out something, trying to push it that way. Give me something, drive something into the gaps. Yes, we want to get the runner over from second to third, but not at the expense of you taking a bitch hack. No. Like, if if you're going to do that, you might as well sacrifice butt. But then again, I don't want you doing that. If there is a play that I do support, and I am going to remind our LTP boys of this. It's with a runner on second, no outs, the drag bunt, or the drag bunt. From the right-hander going down the third baseline, from the lefty, all you got to do is bunt the ball to the third baseman, and it's going to get the runner over. But you're also bunting for a base hit. You're not bunting just to give yourself up. You have 27 outs to give and get in this great game. 27, that's it. Why do you want to give one of those outs away? It doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, today's Daily Hustle electronic email communication that goes out to thousands each and every single morning. If you have not signed up for that, go to ericburns.com. And put your email address in. It's a blog. It's a, I don't know what to call it, whatever you want to call it. It's forever fluid, but I think we send out pretty cool messages. And essentially what we do there is sort of what coincides here. So the Buenos Dias. That's how I start all these things. Today is Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. Daily Hustle Quote of the Day. 
It ain't over till it's over. Yogi Berra, Daily Hustle Translation. Way too often in life, we assume something is a foregone conclusion, even though that something isn't officially over. Down 0-2, the D-backs' hopes looked very bleak. And then again, when they were down 3-2 in the series and faced the tall task of trying to win two games in front of a raucous Philly psycho crowd. Yet, AZ pulled off what many would consider a mini miracle and are now headed to the World Series for the very first time in 22 years. As a former D-back myself, it's safe to say that not too many people outside of Arizona give two shits about them. Even within the state, they seem to be everybody's second favorite team, but things in the desert just may be changing. Spend a series watching this squad and you will fall in love with these dudes. Corbin Carroll and Alex Thomas are the young go-hards that fly around the outfield and base pass like Bugs Bunny and Sonic the Hedgehog while dropping Ruthian-type nukes despite their diminutive stature. Cattell Marte is a superstar that nobody knows exists. Tommy Pham is the ultimate castaway that keeps showing up on a different team every year while keeping everyone on the edge of their seat, not knowing when his next bitch slap will be unleashed. Ask Jock Peterson. Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen seem so properly mannered, you hope they show up at the door to take your daughter to the prom. Yet they just so happen to, to be the top two end starters, and they're fucking bulldogs on the bump. Paul Seawald is the closer. He throws 91. Yup, 91. Yet somehow magically keeps finding ways to get out. They are managed by my UCLA brethren, Tori Lavello, who just keeps talking about how a connected team is a dangerous team. And he has John Wooden's pyramid of success as a centerpiece in his office. The World Series starts Saturday, and I realize not too many people outside of Dallas or Phoenix will be paying much attention. That said, the storylines of these two teams that both lost over 100 games just two years ago are plentiful and beyond inspirational. Whether you want to root for Bruce Bochy or Tori Lovello, Corbin Carroll or Evan Carter, Cattell Marte or Dulles Garcia, Zach Gallon or Jordan Montgomery, Merrill Kelly or Max Scherzer, it doesn't really matter. True baseball fans will appreciate this matchup, and I'm going to put my balls on the line and publicly declare the series will inevitably go seven games and could possibly go down as one of the most exciting World Series ever played. Hopefully people watch. EB. Ah, all right. Look. If you are a baseball fan, you have to appreciate baseball well beyond your team. 
And the one thing that I could say that I'm very grateful for playing and then broadcasting is that you root for the story. You no longer have a team that you're heavy connected with and you feel tied to. Look, the Oakland A's, yeah, of course. I There's always going to be an affinity I have for them because that's where I began my career and ended up spending seven years in that organization. Well, after that, it was a short-lived time with the Rockies, two weeks. Not a lot of connection there. Baltimore, two months. Not a lot of connection there other than the fact that I still have that hat that's sick as could be. Uh, my favorite bird on earth. Is, you, whenever I'm having a bad day, just look up there. The Oriole bird He's going to make you smile. I also think he still needs a name. But then I spent four years with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And when you're there in a place long enough and you still have a connection to the people, seeing Derek Hall and Ken Kendrick, I, yeah, I, look, it didn't end great there for me. And not, not well at all, actually. It was disappointing. But in life, I think you have to understand especially when it comes to baseball, that it's a business. And it's their responsibility to do what they feel is best for the team. So when I was released from the Diamondbacks, I was heartbroken only because of the fact that I had been hurt and I'd worked my ass off tremendously to get back to being healthy. And then I finished the 09 season doing really well. I think I had like an over 900 OPS. And then still was really like, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Even if they just brought me back as a fourth alpha or whatever, it actually disenchanted me with the game and, and playing because I always felt like Tori Lovello says, a connected team is a dangerous team and when you feel disconnection between a front office and the coaching staff and the manager and the players it just oh it's tough and I've played on connected teams but I've also played on non-connected teams and more than anything though what I've learned through all this as you step back and take this view from 10,000 feet is that Hey, it's okay. They made decisions that they felt was best for the organization at the time. I then made decisions that I felt was best for me personally, which was then to go sign with Seattle. And, you know, as well as it went in spring training, it went horseshit at the beginning of the season, which then got me released again. And, then it was, okay, let's look in the mirror and figure out you know, what I want to do with my life. And I've always had other aspirations. Well, I think for a few years, for sure, especially when the old regime was still there in charge of making the player personnel decisions, it's, in my mind, wasn't a decision made by upper management or even ownership. Like this is, this was something that the people who were making decisions 
at the time, the general manager wanted me out for whatever reason. So that all said, I do believe you can't take any of this personal. Just can't. It's something that you have to accept that that move on with. So what I'm really trying to get at my point of all of this is that Will Clark with the San Francisco Giants, obviously as a Giants fan, they should have fucking signed him. They didn't. Will Clark has now been brought back within the organization and is, in my opinion, a uh, perfect liaison to have for that organization that brings them back to their roots, a guy that's obviously not afraid to uh, say anything and uh, keep everybody on their toes as sort of guy. But you have to be willing to look past and beyond all that. And so when I see the Diamondbacks now and I see them having the success and I see a lot of familiar faces out there, Dan Heron, by the way, sent him a message this morning. He's a pitching strategist. It's a really big fucking job. I could make an argument that's a bigger job than pitching coach. If you're writing up a game plan on how you're going to attack these hitters, that is huge. And his name is one that rarely gets mentioned, and he doesn't give a shit. He will gladly stay in the background. He does a lot of his work from home. He's an avid pickleball player. And I texted him this morning, and he had mentioned that one of the things that's amazing about all this is that there's only one guy, it's Ginkle, Kevin Ginkle, who throws over 91 miles per hour. This Ginkle guy was fucking nasty, by the way. But there's all of these other guys in a world in which every bullpen has multiple guys throwing 95 to 104. The Diamondbacks don't have those guys. Yet, you know what they're doing? They're fucking pitching. They are attacking hitters at the top of the strike zone. They're taking advantage of the corners. They're changing eye levels. They're changing speeds. We need to step back for a second and give Dan Heron some love because the way he coordinated this thing was just fucking brilliant. And if they're going to beat the Texas Rangers, which obviously is a very good offensive team, they're going to have to do the same thing. But if you can shut out the Phillies, or say shut out, but shut down the Phillies offense, basically, who was red hot, I got to believe that they could do the same to Texas Rangers. So watching this series, I'm not, look, I'm rooting for the story still. I, I want, it's nice to see the Dimebacks there. I'm going to root for the D-backs, but I'm also going to root for the story. And Bruce Bochy, the fact that here he is, he was on his couch last November. So we're not even a year ago. It wasn't even a year ago when they reached out to him. And Chris Young, the former MLB pitcher, is now the general manager of the Rangers, is like, yo, Bruce, we got something really special going. 
and we want you to be a part of it. Well, sure enough, he accepted. And we are dealing now with two awesome stories. Okay, from 100 losses to the World Series in record time. This is an article on MLB.com. Let's flash back all the way back to the distant year of 2021. That's right. Four teams lost more than 100 games that season while finishing in last place, miles from contention. One was the D-backs, who went 52-110, and tying the Orioles for the worst record in the majors and getting outscored by more than 200 runs. Another was the Rangers, who went 60-102, and their most losses since 1973. Gets worse. They were outscored by 190 runs. This really is incredible. Two years later, these two teams will square off in the World Series. Game one is set for Friday night at Texas's Globe Life Field after Arizona finished off an improbable run through the National League bracket by winning seven of the NL Championship Series on Tuesday night in Philadelphia. Uh, it says we ha- still have yet to see a team go from 100 losses to a World Series berth in just one year. But prior to 2023, only four teams had done it in two years. Just one of those instances has come since 1970, despite the fact that expanded playoffs have opened the door wider. This is now the first time that two teams have done it in the same year. Fewest seasons to reach the World Series after a 100-loss season. 1914 Boston Braves, 1967 Red Sox, 1969 Miracle Mets, 2008 Rays, and then this is fucking crazy. The 2023 D-backs and 2023 Rangers. So in the history of baseball, one, two, three, four, five, six teams have done it. The first four that did it, 1914, 1967, 1969, and 2008. Think about how spread out that is. And then this year, in one year, the D-backs and the Rangers both accomplished the feat. The 1991 Braves and 2006 Tigers did it in three seasons. The 1989 Giants did it in four, as did the 95 Indians, 2016 Cubs, and 2017 Astros. Five seasons was the 1944 St. Louis Browns, 1950 Phillies, and 1987 Twins. Teams to achieve the turnaround in just two years have seen mixed results, while the 1967 Red Sox and 2008 Rays both lost. The 1914 Braves swept the Philadelphia A's in the World Series. The 1969 Mets beat the Orioles for the title. They became known as the Miracle Braves and the Miracle Mets, which says something about the rarity of the feat. Says here's another way to look how quickly the D-backs and Rangers 
have ascended with both having lost more than 100 games in 2021. They're also overwhelmingly the fastest pair to go from triple-digit defeats to the World Series. So it says fewest combined seasons from 100 losses to the World Series. D-backs, Rangers, four seasons. Okay, they're talking about the two teams combined. Uh, the Braves in Cleveland, 95, is 11 seasons. So they're just fought, like by far above and beyond. What does that tell me? Ah. Well, look, the bottom line is that you're seeing a lot more uh, investment in the younger players. Corbin Carroll, they gave a hundred and some odd million dollars to. And because they did that, you give this guy the keys of the Ferrari and just say, fucking drive, bro. If you wreck it, you wreck it. We'll put it in the shop or we'll get you a new one. But this is it. This is who we are. And then remember this, whether it's the Rangers or the Arizona Diamondbacks, these teams made some trades. They went out and got some dudes. And they also had some other guys that have stepped up and are having career years. The matchup that that I talk about in this morning's Daily Hustle email, and it's like, who do you want to root for? Corbin Carroll or Evan Carter? Both of these guys have fantastic stories. Corbin Carroll is the little dude that could. The first-round draft pick that still is five-foot-nothing. He's built, right? But I mean, this is Jose Altuve esque with the shit that he's doing. And then everybody questioning why the fuck would you give this guy $100 million when he hadn't played a game in the big leagues? That meant to make sense. And I take that back. He had played a game in the big leagues. He came up at the end of last year. Oh my goodness, it's snowing. Holy shit. This is real. Outside right now. Let's see if you guys can see it. I'll turn it this way. This is incredible. It is really happening. Snow flurries are flying down from the sky here in Truckee, California. Incredible. Currently, let's see here. It's got to be obviously in the 30s somewhere. Uh, This is the low. The high today is going to be 48. The low is 23. Little truck rolling up there. I don't know if you guys can see it or not. But that is really cool. It is officially snowing. We did have one other day where we got some flurries, but mainly those were up top and actually stuck overnight. So sorry for the interruption. But Evan Carter is a dude from Tennessee that got called up maybe he's from louisiana not one or the other but he was a guy that was somewhat overlooked he wasn't on the top 200 prospect list i pretty sure he was a high draft pick anyway but this dude's done nothing but hit and he's been huge for the texas rangers so when you look at these successful teams they always have a dude or a couple that will come in and give you production that you never expected. The storylines 
with the managers, I think, is fucking fantastic, too. You have Bruce Bochy, who, as I mentioned, was sitting on his couch less than a year ago when Chris Young called and was like, yo, you want to come manage the Rangers? And it's like, I feel like Bochy was like Lou Brown. I don't know what he was doing, but I, I don't know, Chris. I got a guy on the other end about some white walls. Let me get back to you later. Like just one of those things. And he comes in, he's just the perfect blend of what the Texas Rangers needed. The Rangers, remember this, they went out and spent a fuck ton of money on Jacob deGrom and they brought in Max Scherzer. So here are two dudes that you would expect to help propel you. Well, deGrom was hurt. And then they had to go get somebody else. And that's when they went and got Scherzer. And Scherzer hasn't been great. He's been hurt. He tried to come back early. He got lit up. He did throw well for them in game, what was it, game six? That Scherzer pitcher, did he start game seven? They're all starting to blend together right now. But he gave him a good effort. That's all you can do. But collectively, This is what it takes to be a World Series team. This is what it takes to be a championship team. 25 guys willing to take on 25 different roles. Nobody cares who gets the credit. There are no superstars. So the question then becomes, what happened to the Phillies? This was a team that was firing on all cylinders. A team that took down the best team in baseball in the Atlanta Braves in commanding fashion. Yet, they get to the National League Championship Series. They take a 2-0 lead against a Diamondbacks team that nobody expected to be there, and they couldn't finish the fucking job? What? So, if you're the Phillies here, you got to be looking at this. It's like, where did we possibly go wrong? How was this collapse even possible? Well, if you'd follow the Phillies and what they did this season, there were plenty of ups and downs. It says here in this article, with many high-priced assets firing on all cylinders, the Phillies surged to a seemingly insurmountable 2-0 lead in the NLCS over the 84-win, ready for this, negative 15-run differential only made the playoffs because the Cubs imploded down the stretch. Arizona Diamondbacks. This is why I love baseball. Ah! Think about that. The Arizona Diamondbacks. Won 84 games, barely above 500. They had a negative 15 run differential. And the only reason why they made the playoffs was because the Cubs absolutely shit all over themselves. The Diamondbacks themselves, down the stretch, got swept by the Houston Astros to finish off the regular season as the Rangers of all teams. We're up in Seattle losing to the Mariners. That's how the Rangers and the Diamondbacks limped into the postseason. 
Yet here are the two teams, boom, about to go head-to-head in the fall classic. You got to love it. You really do. It says it was really just a question of whether they'd polish off the sweep in the desert or if they needed to win another game or two in front of the biggest home field advantage in recent MLB history, which we haven't really gotten into. It says, or so we were told. In reality, the Phillies backed a rattlesnake into a corner, misplaced the tools necessary to finish the job, and will now enter the offseason full of possibly fatal puncture wounds. The insatiable offense that hit six home runs and scored 15 runs in those first two games of the series. It never made it back to Philadelphia for game six and seven, scoring just three runs between those two losses. Wow. This gets worse. Much like Los Angeles' Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman in the NLDS against Arizona, the Phillies' two most expensive bats completely vanished when they needed them most. Trey Turner and Bryce Harper when it combined 0 for 15 in the final two games to go along with a $100 million man, Nick Castellanos, going hitless in 23 at-bats this postseason. Oh, my goodness. In his final 23 at-bats this postseason. And just like that, we're left with maybe the most incomprehensible World Series pairing in MLB history. And neither the Diamondbacks nor the Texas Rangers even clinched their spot in the playoff field until less than 24 hours before the end of the regular season. But before we take these next couple of idle days before the World Series to gather our thoughts and predictions on that impending showdown, it's about what now happens with the Phillies after maybe the most embarrassing playoff series collapse outside of the New York Yankees infamously blowing that 3-0 lead over the Boston Red Sox in the 2004 ALCS. After making the World Series in 2022 and coming painstakingly close to winning another NL pennant this year, should we expect them to be back in the mix for 2024? Or is this proverbial window of opportunity already closing on? The gigantic free agency elephant in the clubhouse is Aaron Nola. Nola has been the rock to the Phillies rotation since he end of their had to rebuild for a half decade after hanging on to Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, Shane Victorino for too long, missing a grand total of one start dating back to 2017. He hasn't always been great, but he has always been a key piece to the rotation and received NL Cy Young votes in three of his last six seasons. If they manage to keep Nola in his $16 million salary is potentially going to double. I like Aaron Nola at $16 million. I'm not sure if I like Aaron Nola at $32 million. It says we'll have to make some concessions elsewhere to pay that price. Failing to retain him could come at an even steeper cost, and that would leave Taiwan Walker and Ranger Suarez batting for the number two spot and the rotation behind Zach Wheeler. Craig Kimbrell is also a noteworthy free agent, though. Given his pitching in Game 3, Game 4, fans in Philadelphia won't be losing any sleep over that loss, which means the Phillies will be in search of a new closer, whether that's on the roster or not, or in free agency. Reese Hoskins is another free agent, but he missed the entire season of torn ACL. 
failing to resign him wouldn't change anything aside from applying more cement to Harper as a long-term plan at first base. I do love Harper at first base. He was fantastic. Just, I, I mean, I was mind blown by some of the plays that he was making. I mean, this is a dude that, look, he played first base before, but he was a catcher coming up through the system and then turned to an outfield to just let Bryce be Bryce. But he's really played first base well. So that is a long-term solution, I think, there. But you could easily stick him back at a corner outfield spot. He's not going to be any worse than Nick Castellanos. It's a matter of where he'll age better. I think the outfield is the easiest to play and just focus on hitting. DH and outfield. And then you could give Reese Hoskins days off. I try to bring Hoskins back. Why not? Uh, you could probably get him on the cheap, I believe. No, we'll see. But he's a guy that's been great for the organization. And it's uh, one of those things where you want to change some things here, but you don't want to change all. You have Trey Turner locked up. You have Bryce Harker lock, locked up. You have Nick, Kistan, Nick Castellanos locked up. You bring Hoskins back. That'll be a little boost. It will. They're going to want to see something different. Now, here's the problem with these all or nothing guys. If you're not putting the ball in play and you're striking out a fuck ton, there's no pressure on the defense. There's just not. So the idea and concept of having a ton of slugging corner guys, is too much. I could tell you through my experience coaching baseball whether it was with the bananas, the party animals, whether it is with the LTP team, when we get a lineup, we roll out a lineup that's got those big-time sluggers, but they can be pitched to, it doesn't always work out. But when you have the little guys, the Orlando Palmeros of the world, I don't know why I bring him up, but because he was such a pain in the ass of Tim Hudson, where. It just found a way to put a ball in play, and he's always putting pressure on the defense. I think there needs to be a blend of the heavy hitters and those sort of dudes in the lineup. So says here, Harper, Turner, Walker, and Schwarber are all entering their age 31 season. Look, my best season was age 31. So I, if I'm them, I'm not looking at it as, oh, we're, we're aging. That 20... Nine to, I'd say probably like 33 year, those years in there, so long as you could physically stay healthy, it's on. If I had stayed healthy in 08, which would have been my age 32 year, it would have been fucking on once again. Like, no question. Now, again, you got to stay healthy. That becomes the biggest issue. Castellanos will be 32, Real Muto 33. And might as well be pushing 40, given the 8,862 innings he has logged at catcher over the past nine years, the most in the majors by a country mile. And Wheeler turns 34 in May. I'm not breaking up this team, dude. I'm just not doing it. I'm not sure if I'm bringing Aaron Nola back just because that's 32 million bucks that he most likely is going to get somewhere else. I'd split that money up and go get yourself like two, three guys. 
that you know are, say, coming off maybe down years that metrically, sabermetrically says, hey, look, if they're able to make adjustment here or there, we could get them back. Uh, it says getting Josh Hader to bolster the bullpen would be a huge boost, as would adding a center fielder who can hit and or a corner outfielder who can actually field his position. That's pretty rough right there. Uh, they've averaged $221 million. I didn't realize their payroll is so big, yeah, over the past three years on opening day. It says, let's just say we're not expecting them to be a legitimate contender in the Shohei Otani or the Yoshinobu Yamamoto sweepstakes. Even if you're not worried about a drop-off in the production of Harper, Turner, etc., and perhaps there is even an uptick in production from Turner and a fully healthy Harper, can the Phillies nucleus reasonably expect to outlast Atlanta in October for their third consecutive year? I don't know. They got their number. I, I You'd have a tough time trying to convince me that that's not going to happen. It says the confidence in their staying power is not as strong as it was a year ago, and we're already beginning to wonder if the team will be in the mix for a playoff spot by 2025. Here's a problem, dude. Everyone's so fucking dramatic. It's so over-emotional and reactionary. If Harper gets on top of that ball this much more, we're talking about how the Phillies are going to be a dynasty. This is the next Astros. It's going to, I mean, geez. It's just, it's over the top. Anyhow. Uh, well, we got like 56 seconds left here. Where this show went. I have no idea. I talked a lot yesterday about Bob Melvin and the Giants. Fantastic hire. Talked to Will Clark on Deuces Wild about it last night. Will is thrilled. I'd love to see Will in some kind of role there that's uh, a position where he would be able to have more of an impact now even than he already does. But Bob Melvin coming home to the Bay Area, rejoice, a Giants fan. That is definitely one of the most exciting things going on. And I don't know if you guys saw this story. Dubai, they have started a baseball league. Yes, this is not a joke. This is a real thing. And Robinson Cano, Bartolo Colon are among the XMLB players drafted in the Dubai-based league. All right, so this gets better. It says Bartolo Colon, Robinson Cano, and Pablo Sandoval were among several MLB players selected in the inaugural draft for the Baseball United at Dubai Professional Baseball League. Baseball United is the first professional baseball league in the Middle East and South Asia. Cano was selected with a sixth overall pick by the Dubai Wolves who are one of the four Baseball United teams to that will be playing in the fall of 2024. MLB Hall of Famers Barry Larkin and Mariano Rivera have invested in the league. According to the Associated Press, the league will own the four teams with four additional teams likely to be revealed in 2024. Right-hander pitcher Karin Patel was... Select as the number one pick in the draft in 2017. Patel became the first Indian player to 
ever be selected in the MLB draft. He was chosen by the Chicago White Sox. He played for the Billings Mustangs of the Independent Pioneer League last season. Cologne, a four-time MLB All-Star, was selected as 16th pick. Last pitched in the big leagues in 2018 with the Texas Rangers. And that was the final stop of his 21-year professional career. Uh, Cologne announced his retirement in a ceremony in which the New York Mets honored him in September of 2023. So he just did. Cano tied 335 homers during his 17 big league, 17-year big league career. The majority of that spent with the New York Yankees, Mets, and Braves. A 41-year-old finished this past season with the Atlanta Braves. Didi Gregorius. He was a third pick by the Wolves. The 33-year-old played for the Yankees, D-backs, Phillies over his 11-year career. So you're looking at some of these guys. They got some baseball left in them. I don't think there's any question. Uh, and Trelton Simmons was another one. The former MLB shortstop. He's only 34, so this might be interesting. Something to stay tuned. I was just wondering why the fuck I didn't get picked. All right, of all the shows, that was one of them. Appreciate you joining. And uh, back on to DH tomorrow. That's it. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Let me fire up the chat real quick. John Davis, Pete Buckwheat, John Emmanuel Ramos, Henderson, Makati City. We are international once again. Uh, do me a favor, leave a review on the Apple, Spotify, everywhere else. Feeling generous, click the five stars. And if you can write a little something, we'd appreciate it. See ya tomorrow.